What's going on? You in the field with the track stars, Ryan Wright, Sean Tanner, DJ Jeremiah. We got Chris Broussard with us today. How you doing? I'm great, brothers. How are you guys? Doing good. good. Doing good. It's good man, to be it, on I, with y'all. I, I, I can't Thank even you. express to you how excited we are, man. Like, uh, we've been a big fan of yours for a long, long time. Uh, just, you know, just watching you throughout the years, but just being able to tell just by watching you and what you say, like, oh, wait a minute, this is a Christian. Uh, you just tell. <laughs> and the way you represent it just it just makes us proud. Like that's exactly why we do what we do, to find people who are in positions of influence that love Jesus, um, and help get people into positions of influence that love Jesus. So I uh, love what Amen. you're doing, man. Nah, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, man. So you you spent a lot of time talking sports with the NTMV boys. So I, I don't I won't do too too much of that. But I do want to kind of find out how you became such a prolific NBA analyst. Like, where where did that journey begin for you? Well, uh, I played basketball in college. I played mm-hmm. football, basketball, and baseball in high school, but I played basketball in college, Division three, Oakland College. Um, so, obviously, I had a, a background in college basketball, so basketball at a high level. And obviously my editors knew that. So I started out, though, as a high school sports writer, not unlike Stephen A. Smith and, you know, several other players, people that started out at that level. So um, I covered high schools for about four years. And then in 1995, I started my career in 1990, but 1995 I got my big break at the Akron Beacon Journal when they promoted me to covering the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, that I, okay. to make me the beat writer. Now, I had spent the previous – before I covered the Cavs, I was mainly covering high school sports, a little bit of college, a little – a pro game here or there. But I really started – I was covering baseball. I was like the backup beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal for the Cleveland Indians. So I was with them for about five months. Um, prior to covering the Cavaliers. So I, that was actually 95 was the first year they went to the World Series, or first year in a while. And so uh, I was with them for that whole trek. And that was really my first extensive coverage of pro sports. And then after that, they promoted me to cover the Cavaliers. I say that because I could have easily ended up being a baseball guy or a football guy. Oh, if wow. that's where the opportunity presented itself. You know, it's just, okay. you know, like they just happened to promote me to covering the Cavaliers instead of the Indians or the Browns, the Cleveland Browns. Got it. So, uh, okay. and I think the fact, I think them knowing my background in basketball had maybe had something to do with why they chose basketball. But, you know, covering high school and college sports, I covered everything. I covered football, basketball, baseball, wrestling, track and field, uh, you know, volleyball, like soccer, you name it, I covered it. And uh, so it just happened to be that my first opportunity on the pro level as a beat writer came with the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA. So I covered the Cavs for about two and a half years, and then I went to the New York Times, and uh, they hired me to cover the Nets. 
So I was a beat writer okay. for the New Jersey Nets when they had uh, Keith Van Horn and Sam Cassell, and and then they traded Cassell for Stephon Marbury. So I covered them for two years, yeah. and then I moved to the uh, New York Knicks, covered the Knicks for three years, and then was promoted to just cover the whole league. And being in New right. York, you know, obviously at New York Times, that's arguably the best paper in the country, if not the world. Right. And so I got a lot of exposure, and I started doing television locally. Just as a guest, they would want me to come on and talk NBA. And then mm-hmm. ESPN would have me on some of their shows. Now, I was still working at the New York Times, but they would have me on the Sports Century documentaries, sometimes on Sports Center, uh, okay. Cold Pizza, which, which became – First yeah, take. I remember. I yeah, and so, and then in 2004, after six years at the New York Times, uh, ESPN hired me to write for ESPN the magazine. And okay. it was initially a magazine deal where I wrote feature stories, NBA feature stories for the magazine. But it was also like, we like you on TV, so you'll do some of that. And over time, they kept putting me on TV for my information. And also, you know, they they thought I, they felt I was good on TV in front of the camera. And gradually, over my 12 years at ESPN, it just kind of morphed into being primarily television rather than writing. And Got it. Uh, and then I, in 2016, I went to Fox Sports One, and uh, now I do television and radio. I don't write anymore. I haven't written okay. a word since I got to Fox. So uh, now I'm just primarily just a broadcaster. And I have a radio show, The Odd Couple, on Monday through Friday on Fox Sports Radio. And obviously with that, we talk all sports, mainly football and basketball. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talk all sports. So uh, I'm spreading my wings now. And uh, the reason I left ESPN was because they their last offer to me when I left in 2016 they wanted to just pigeonhole me into being an NBA reporter and where Got I was just it. trying Got to it. break news and, and stating the facts. And then mm-hmm. uh, Fox wanted me as an analyst and a commentator and opinionist so I could state Got for it. my opinion rather than not having to try to break news and stuff. So it was just something I was ready to move on toward, and uh, I like it a lot more. Uh, this role. That's awesome. Real quick, how, as a as a as an NBA insider guy, I always hear Stephen A. Smith talk about it. And when you were on there, you would talk about it. How are you guys getting that behind the scenes information? Are people like dropping you little, um, you know, you de- anonymous you develop, notes? You develop you develop relationships over the years, um, okay. and then you you know you you get people that you can trust and that trust you. And it, it could be front office people, general managers, assistant general managers. It could be uh, coaches, head or assistant, scouts, uh, owners, and then also players, and then also friends of players or friends you know, who, who, who get information. So uh, it's up to you to determine, you know, if the source is believable and good and credible. Um, but over the time, over the years, you, you get to know who you can trust and so on and so forth. And so that's really where the, inf- a- I mentioned, failed to mention agents, agents are a big source for people too. So oh, that's okay. really where you get the information from. 
what's their motivation for telling you? Like, it is like why would they tell you? Uh, a lot of times they want to get news out, or they want to get you know a spin out, or they may not tell you the spin, but they just want to get information out, and you know they know how important it is to the business to get it out there, and so uh, and a lot of times you know if 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 you notice most just about all of the news that's broken, uh, it's anonymous sources. So you know the writer knows who it is, but nobody else knows who it is. So as long as they know, the sources know it's anonymous and their name's not going to be attached, they generally yeah. don't mind telling you, giving you the information. Because they understand you have a job to do too. But uh, you, know, you would not see nearly as many stories broken if you had to put people's names on it. Because you get it, yeah. a general manager... He may tell you we're looking to move so-and-so or we're talking about trading so-and-so. Uh, he may tell you that anonymously and knowing you're going to use it, but there's no way a GM could say that with his name attached because, right. you know, if it doesn't, you just can't, you know, you can't. That's just not how you can do business. So, mm. so that's why you see so many anonymous sources. All right, let's get down to it. Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith? Who's the tougher debater? <laughs> well, they're both good friends of mine, um, so I'm not going to choose. <laughs> but they uh, they both look, they both do a great job. Uh, Stephen A. is probably going to get more emotional, probably going to yell more. Right. Um, and Skip is always going to stick to his guns no matter what. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. um, Whether it's defending Tom Brady or, you know, being critical of LeBron or whatever. But uh, he's always going to stick to his gun. So that's, you know, those are a couple of the characteristics of each guy. But they're both good brothers and uh, longtime friends and colleagues. So uh, they both do a great job at what they do. Absolutely. Speaking of that, I wanted to ask you, um, we we know of some uh, Christians in sports. Um, I would assume you would know more uh, about that. How many of the people, two questions, how many of the people that we think are Christians may not be? And how many people do we not know about that are really, really about that life that we just may not know about? Well, Skip is a Christian, Skip Bayless. I, I heard and, that. Yeah, and Stephen A., goes to uh, A.R. Bernard's church in Brooklyn, uh, Christian Culture Center. Oh. I've actually seen Stephen A. there, and we've talked oh, wow. about the Lord. And um, so as far as players, yeah, look, there are some players that are really strong in their faith, uh, and there are some that, you know, aren't. It's kind of like regular people, you know. Right. Um, but there are some yeah. that, you know, are worldly and obviously they have a lot of temptations being NBA players. Um, But, and then there's some that, you know, they're comparing themselves to the rest of the players. And so their walk, their walk really may not be strong. But, but it's they, better they than almost, everyone around them. Right. They almost feel like, <laughs> at least I'm going yeah. to church. At least I'm going to chapel. 
at least I'm trying or I'm not as bad as some of these cats. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. um, there's, there's a good amount of that. And one thing is sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the, the, the pastors or ministers that may be around them aren't really pastoring them. They're just almost caught up in the superstardom themselves to yeah, the point where, yeah. you know, they're not really challenging the players on really living a strong Christian life. Um, yeah. And they'll, you know, they just kind of happy to be in their presence, whether they're getting, you know, money from it or just access to certain things. Um, yeah. Or some of them may just, they may be sincere believers themselves and just, you know, not because of the stardom, not feel as comfortable, you know, advising these players as they might feel with a person that's not famous, you know, they're some of their congregants or whatever. And so I think players really are in need of really good discipleship. And, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, look, I think that would certainly help. But I'm also a strong believer in that if you are really saved and committed to the Lord, then the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of certain things. Right. It's up to each of us. The Bible talks about working out our own salvation. And so even if you don't have great discipleship or, you know, somebody there for, you know, if you if you make a decision to be in your word to, you know, live for the Lord, then you can live victorious even in the midst of great temptation and things like that. You know, so Exactly. Um you know, we all are given the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, and we all are, you know, given the Bible, you know. So, right. uh, you know, yeah. if you really want to live for the Lord, you can live yeah. for the Lord. So, Chris, I have a question for you. Um, given the influence that you have on your platform, how hard was it to – make a covenant with the fact that when you got this exposure, you would just go so hard for the Lord. Like, was that something that you internalized before it actually happened? And, and how do you, how do you help other believers who are frustrated with, I guess, the output they have in front of them and they have so much more of a vision? How do you help them steer in the right direction where it's not so much about them, but it's about the passion for God, the movement and the exposure of getting the kingdom and the word out there? Well, I think to answer the first part of your question, um, you know, just the most important thing in my life is, is Christ and my relationship with him. And so I do my best not to compromise that for anything. And right. um, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, God has ordered my steps. And so wherever he puts me, it's his glory. And so he hasn't mm-hmm. given me platforms for me to make and provide for my family and have a job and enjoy. Those are the best part of it. But he's also put me here to shine like a light for him. I'm of the belief from the scripture that every one of us is a minister. Whether mm-hmm. you're a pastor in a church or you're 
our minister. So I'm of the belief that no matter what we're doing, we're supposed to be glorifying the Lord. If I was working at a restaurant or whatever, I would still be a light, try to be a light and a witness for the Lord. And mm-hmm. um, that's my mentality. Now, also, about five times I almost left my career to go into full-time Christian ministry. Uh, wow. I, was, I was enrolled in seminary. You know, I, I mm-hmm. applied to Dallas Theological Seminary, Westminster, and Philadelphia, Gordon-Conwell in Boston, Fuller in Pasadena, uh, Alliance in Nyack, New York. I was going to go to two that I was going to go to. I was going to first go to Fuller in Pasadena, and then years mm-hmm. later I was going to go to Alliance in Nyack. And it never just worked out for me to go. Even though I was accepted and everything, but it never, you know, timing just wasn't right. And uh, so I never went, but I actually realize now God has given me a platform and then, uh, you know, ability to reach people that I never would have had coming out of seminary. And so um, I've recognized that God has really placed me here to, you know, be a light and a witness for him in my profession uh, and all the people that I can reach through what I do. Um, So... I just, you know, like I said, the reason, like, I really, one of the things that got me really strong into ministering was when I got saved, I witnessed to my younger brother who was a year younger than me. I was a senior mm-hmm. in college when I got saved. He was a junior. He was a year behind me at Howard University. And he joined the Nation of Islam. And oh. they were really, chall- he was challenging me and, uh, it really forced me to learn the word for myself because right, he was yeah. coming at me, really asking me a lot of questions and challenging me on the Bible and stuff. And he also, you know, you know how the Muslims are. They just, you know, they're really committed to what they do and to, to reaching yeah. men, particularly black men with yeah. their, their, uh, with their belief system. And, right. So that was really led me to want to go out and reach men for Christ. Because I I used to think of that scripture where Paul said, he talked about people running the race for a perishable crown, you know, running the race for a trophy or whatever. How much more, how much harder should we run for Christ? And I was like, man, he's, my brother is this committed and this dedicated and running that race for, you know, a false religion, how much right. more should I run it for Christ? And so wow. that, I mean, I've been involved in prison ministry, juvenile detention center ministry since the early nineties and, uh, used to teach seminars on blacks in the Bible and just yeah, many other things, been preaching at churches since the early to mid nineties. And, wow. um, so it's just a part of me. Like I said, I see all of us as ministers. Um, so, and look, I'm, I'm, the Bible says be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. You know, I'm not on my job throwing the Bible at people and preaching all the time. Uh, but, right. you know, when the door opens, I'm, I'm ready to walk through it and, and share the gospel. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just live my Christian life in front of people. And like I said, when they want to talk about it or when the door is open, I do. Um, but 
you know, and, and thankfully God's given me a platform for reaching, you know, tons of people. And, and people know I'm a Christian because some of the stances I've taken publicly, and that's good. Yeah. Now when they see me, they know that I represent Christ. Yeah. I remember there was something that happened where you, you um, I want to say, I'm trying to remember when that was. It was a few years ago that you had to kind of stand up and make a pretty bold stance on something. Was that difficult for you to do to stay, to stay where, um, to stay in your, your faith and, and what you believe in when the, when the outside world may be telling you just, you know, kind of go along and change your stance to fit in. How were you able to navigate that controversy? Uh, you talking about Jason Collins when he came out of the closet as a homosexual. Exactly. And, exactly. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, it wasn't hard because I was asked, asked a direct question about Christianity and that lifestyle. So yeah. I gave an answer, uh, a biblical answer. Um, and, you know, like, look, all my heroes were bold yeah. from, from Frederick Douglass, who went before congressmen and senators and politicians and powerful people and spoke boldly about Christ and about mm-hmm. freedom and liberation for black people at a yeah. time when it could have cost him his life. Harriet Tubman with the Underground Railroad, risking her life. Uh, Sojourner Truth. Uh, Martin Luther King. Marcus Garvey. Malcolm X. All the way up mm-hmm. to starting with, of course, Jesus Christ. These are my right. heroes. My mm-hmm. heroes aren't Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, uh, Hank Aaron, you know, <laughs> Karis One, some rapper who, you know, my heroes, I, I admire some of those people and, and respect their work, but my heroes, the people that inspire me, are the people I mentioned and more. People who were bold. People who were strong. Yeah. And so I feel like, man, that's who I'm trying to be like. And like I said, yeah. starting with Jesus. And so, again, it's not always a time to to speak or preach or say something, you know, but there are times to do that. And when those times come to you, you need to be bold. And I'm I'm called to be like Jesus. Then I can't be some little mealy mouthed, you know, afraid, you know, Christian, milk toast Christian, you know, and, uh, yeah, I think I think that's. If we, I think if, that's back, actually... if I if I fully believe I'm backed by God and He's got me and He's ordered my steps and nothing's gonna happen to me that He doesn't allow to happen or and He protected me He's with me always and so on and so forth, then why am I afraid? You know, and it's right. a battle. You know, we all can have fears, but I should not be led by my feelings or my fears but instead be led by my faith. I think that's what's uh, tripping some people up, though. I think um, there is a pressure now to um, soften your stances on certain things, 
um, right. to fit in with the general public. And the that issue is probably one of the hardest ones that people, well, Christians have when they get into the public arena, um, not backing away from. What's your advice to artists that are coming up, um, right. you, know, you know, sports right. analysts, creative people that are entering into the mainstream arena, and they know they're going to be tested because almost every Christian, especially artists, every Christian, when they know you're a Christian, they're going to they're gonna hit you with questions just to see right. how you're going right. to react to it. What's right. your advice in that moment? How should you respond? I remember when... Uh, when that happened, that was six years ago, 2013. And a lot of players came up to me, NBA players, and they was like, man, yo, I'm proud of you. Yo, that was, you know, that took balls, you know. <laughs> like, you, you know, you the man, yo, that was – and so on and so forth. And thank you and all that. And I remember telling guys, I was like, look, you got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, you might not be called to say what I said. You right. know, um, there's a time for it, so you got to just be in tune with God and know what he's leading you to do, you know. Right. And so, um, like I said, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. There were times when Jesus fled. We know it wasn't out of fear because he wasn't afraid of anybody or anything. But it wasn't time to say or do this. There's right. times when he went to the temple with a, with a whip <laughs> and ran dudes out. You know what I mean? So yeah. you have to be in your personal relationship with God to know how to move with wisdom. Um, and so I would say, look, first, the first step is to – Walk in the love of God. And there's no homosexual that can say I haven't treated them with respect and shown them the love that I show everybody else. Right. Because I, and, and, and we have to, we also, I've never singled out homosexuality. Right. Like if you look at my statement on national television with that Jason Collins incident, I mentioned heterosexual fornication. I mentioned yeah, adultery. Yeah. The world singled out homosexuality. They chose right, that yeah. one thing out of what I said. I never singled it out. And I don't single it out. And I don't make people living that lifestyle feel like they're worse than the brother that, that's heterosexual but going to the strip club all the time. You yeah, know what I mean? And, yeah. and, or the guy that's cheating on his wife with another woman. And right. so as long as we stay biblical and they know, okay, like I think, look, I've preached about this. So one, you stay biblical and you, you speak the truth in love, but you're consistent. You're not just railing against this one type of sin, but laughing and mocking this, up, you know, and joking about this other right. type of sin. Right, you know? right, right, right. Uh, and two... You need to live it. If that, one thing that helped me at ESPN when this happened mm -hmm. was that people looked at my lifestyle and, and people were asked about me. Right. Some of my colleagues okay. were asked from executives about me. 
And they, wow. the people that they were at, that were asked, said, or at least I'm talking about one person I know who's told me. He said, look, Chris is real. And Chris lives it. And this person even said he called me out because I'm going to church, but I'm sleeping around with these women. You know, so mm. and so, if I had been up at ESPN cheating on my wife, hitting on the makeup girls, cussing, getting drunk with people, you know, but yet <laughs> claiming to be a Christian, right. Right. instead yeah. of seeing me as a person that truly believes this and lives it, and they may disagree, but they can respect, okay, but he, these are his beliefs and he lives it, they would have seen me as a bigot who uses religion just to bash. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And that's so, the biggest yeah. issue. So that's, that's why I that's think good. we have to be, we have to consistently live it out, walk in truth and love. And, you know, that's, I think that's the best way to do it. But, but walk in truth. It ain't walk in love minus truth. It's walk in right. truth. Speak the truth in love. But yeah. too many people, and I'm talking about big name pastors and stuff. They don't. They won't even address the issue. When they're yeah. asked about it, they get all, you know, they don't no, know what to it. say. Right. Yeah, all know, and what happens is the world is not satisfied. They're going to push more and more and more. And at some point, if you really – believe the word and are going to strangle, at some point you're going to be forced to make a decision, to make a statement. Yeah. Either that or they just going to push so hard that you just totally compromise and go against God. And I've seen it. I've seen a friend who's a pastor who publicly would not make statements on it. But then something happened and people pushed him so hard and he was literally backed into a corner where he had to say, I believe the traditional interpretation of the Bible on this. Wow. Mm. And you also see that the world is not going to, it's moved from acceptance to tolerance or from tolerance to acceptance to now wanting applause. Yeah. And yeah. now moving past wanting applause to if you ain't down with this, you're going to be pushed outside of, at, to the periphery of society. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So exactly. these preachers, and I know I'm, I may not be answering your question for the everyday person, but these preachers that are doing this, they're not doing anybody a favor. And you may not, you're really not even saving people because you're bringing people into your church and they're coming up and joining under the God. They don't even know what sin is. Right. You got a lot of people thinking they say that that don't even know what certain what sin is. Yeah, yeah. You know because you treat pre mm -hmm. treat preaching love, and you're not preaching the truth in love. You're just preaching some vague innocuous, some vague love. You know. Wow. And wow. so, but but I would say for the everyday person, just live your faith with compassion and love for people and be consistent. Don't single out certain, certain sins, but overlook other ones. That's good. So that's how that's I, good, would, sir. I would say. That's good. So I have another um, question for you, Chris. Go ahead. 
this is Ryan, just real quick. You seem to never tire of uh, lending your voice, um, you know, spearheading ministry. How, how do you go through day-to-day and re-energize and rejuvenate yourself to, to keep doing this and keep pressing forward? Like you just finished up a radio show of three hours, and now you're doing a radio interview with us. How do you continue to go, go, go um, and not burn out or tire? Man, um, I think it's important to have time mm-hmm. by yourself. Okay. When you're a person in the in, in when you're a person in either the public eye or in ministry, it's important that you get your alone time. And okay. I'm 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 I've always been a person that just that like being alone. Now I've got plenty of friends and I hang out with people and I do this and that. But yeah. I've always liked being alone, and since I've been a Christian, it's even more so because that's when you get recharged, whether it's in prayer, reading the Word, mm-hmm. just meditating, or just spending time kind of thinking about God and, and you know, meditating on the Lord and, and just refreshing yourself. Like, you need, I mean, we have from, if you're in the public eye, being always performing, being always, always being on stage or always being around people and critiqued by people. Um, and, and then all the distractions of social media. And I mean, you can literally go through this life now in America and never have any alone time. Right. Whether, you know, cause you work in wow. your job and then you always on the phone, you're always on social media, you're always checking Instagram, Twitter, this and that, what they say, man, we need to put those things down for some time. Mm-hmm. And wow. so that's one of the things that helps me recharge and not get so caught up in what people are saying or, or, you know, my brand or whatever. Um, and then man, it's just, you know, it's like Jeremiah said, man, it's like fire shut up in your bones. Like, mm-hmm. like, or like Peter's, like one of his apostles, I can't remember which one said, like, where are we going? If we leave Christ, like, this is just who I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, and it, it's so changed my life, Christ, and strengthened me and, and helped me overcome certain things and grow. Uh, and that I have a big, you know, I have a big uh, burden for African-American people, people of African descent, yeah. all people, but particularly African-American people. And I see a lot of the issues that it are holding us back. And a yeah. lot of them are systemic racism, race, mm-hmm. systemic racism. And a lot of them mm-hmm. are things we're, we could just work on ourselves, you know, yeah. if we yeah. live for Christ. And so um, having a heart in addition to just wanting to do God's will and live out the gospel also having a heart for our people and men in general, um, you know, that leads me to want to reach people for Christ and be a light and a witness and an example. Um, and, and, and whether it's, you know, ministering and preaching to our people and trying to help them live for Christ and knowing how that would improve their family life, their family structure, their relationships, their marriages, their relationships with their kids and how they raise their kids and all that. Uh, and also speaking to, you know, mainstream America and particularly Christians 
who, if they get with Christ and live for him, then that would theoretically alleviate a lot of the systemic structures that are holding us back or in obstacles in our path. So that's part of it too. That's good. Mm -hmm. Well, I I was, I was going to bother you about LeBron, but I I don't want to keep you too long. Let's, let's go into (laughs) (laughs) how did you get connected to Christian hip hop? I was always curious about that because it sounds like you know a lot about it. Man. Um, I have been a hip-hop head my whole life almost. I'm too old for it to be my whole life, but most of my life. I mean, I I still remember the first time I heard hip-hop. And I I was like nine years old, I believe, maybe ten. And I walked into my friend's house, and Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang was playing. And I had yeah. never heard anything like that. And yeah. I, of course, I knew Good Times. The beat was Good Times by Sheik. And I walk in this front door, and I hear this song playing. And I was, like, mesmerized, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I mean, when you, you, you never, you guys younger than me, and you've all, rap has probably existed your entire life. Yeah, but yeah, to hear uh, that, yeah. I had never, nobody had heard anything like that. You know, people, I was in, living in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. And so I heard that and I was just, and I said to my man, I was like, what in the world is that? <laughs> he was like, that's, that's, that's hippity hop. That's the new jam. <laughs> and I went out from there. My joke, my dad took me to the record store. I bought Rapper's Delight. He bought it for me. And I was just, from that day forward, man, I've been all in the hip hop. It's my favorite form of music. And right. I wrote rhymes. I rapped in high school and college and after college. And uh, but, we we got to hear that. Hard, I, I, you know, I usually stay in my lane now, so, so you know. <laughs> but um, I, so I was all into hip-hop, and I got saved in 1989. And, um, you know, I hadn't heard any Christian hip-hop. Uh, and then, in ni- you know, shortly after I was saved, a few months and stuff, you know, I started having a little bit of conviction about some of the stuff I was listening to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause it wasn't promoting, not only was it not promoting God, but it was just promoting sin, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, and then I was at a church and some guy told me about it's, it's some Christian hip hop that's out there. This was 1990. And so I went to, he said, he said, you can get it at, you can get it at Christian bookstores. So I went, and I think the first first Christian hip-hop uh, album I had, it was a cassette, was probably P.I.D., Preachers in Disguise. And it wasn't all that hot. They were decent rappers, <laughs> but, you know, that beat, the beats wasn't dope. But they actually, right. over time, they over time, they really became pretty good. They were one of the early good groups, Preachers in Disguise. They're called P.I.D., but um, mm-hmm. the first, but I, I've been down with Christian hip hop since 1990, and the first dope Christian hip hop I heard was this group called SFC, 
Soldiers for Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they were dope. And, I mean, from the DJ and they had scratching <clears throat> to the beats, the samples, um, to the, the, uh, the flow, the, the lyricism, the ability to really be a good rapper, to the content, from, which was yeah. at that point explicitly Christian. Like early right. Christian hip-hop was explicitly Christian. It wasn't yeah. none of this spiritual light. It wasn't none of this stuff that you hear, you wouldn't even know. If you didn't know it was a Christian, you wouldn't know it was a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Right, and right, it right. was explicitly Christian, but dope and done in a way that at least to me wasn't preachy. And, and remember, the early 90s hip-hop was very black, like de- very conscious, yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah. You had Public yeah. Enemy. You had uh, Rakim. You had mm-hmm. Boogie Down Productions, you had X-Clan, you had Brand Nubian, you know, then mm-hmm. NWA and Ice Cube eventually. Like, so you had, it was very dealing with a lot of black issues. And the Christian right. hip-hop at the time did too. You know, the SFC had, they had Huey Newton and Malcolm X on the cover of one of their albums. Oh, they wow. had, and it wasn't, don't get me wrong, it wasn't false doctrine or anything like that, but they were dealing with racial issues from a biblical perspective. They had, you, uh, Idol King had a song called I'm Black and I'm Proud. Uh, they had a dedication to Martin Luther King on one, one song, one album. Um, Freedom of Soul had, it dealt with these issues. Um, it was like, so it was, those are some of the hot early Christian hip hop artist, and um, so that was nice. So wow. since then, I've been man, and I'm telling you, as a young Christian, I grew up Catholic. So I yeah. initially I did not know a lot of Bible believing Christians, and I I had cats that went to church when I before I was saved that I knew that I played ball with and all that. But as far as really trying to live for the Lord, not fornicating and all that stuff. I didn't know many dudes like that. I was 21 years old. And so Christian hip hop, man, it was really, it really ministered to me. It, you know, we talked about boldness. It gave me a boldness about it, like about my faith. And that really helped me. Um, wait, I don't know if y'all heard of DJ Wado. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, we, we love him. Okay. Big brother right there. Yeah, so I know DJ Wado well. And he, I was playing some old, you know, he got saved in, I don't know, 90, mid to late 90s, somewhere around there. And some of the yeah. first Christian hip-hop he heard was cross movement. Yeah. But there was Christian hip-hop almost 10 years. Their first album, I believe, was 98. No, like 96, yeah. 97-ish, 96, 97, something. There have been Christian hip-hop for, you know, six, five, six years before that. And I played some of the old Christian hip-hop, some SFC for him once. And he mm-hmm. was like, man, they so aggressive. They so bold. <laughs> like, because they were coming out strong. And that helped me as a young believer. That really gave me a boldness about my faith. The gospel gangsters came. You know, they were a group yeah. that came mm-hmm. out. And what, no matter how you feel about the name, they were dope. I mean, they were dope MCs. They had dope beats. They dealt with, shoot, their first album 
was called Gang Affiliated. They dealt with police brutality. They had a song called One Time. I wish one time was saved, meaning the cops. They had a song uh, called Tears of a Black Man. Um, I mean, Christian Hip Hop was dope. They had a song called Why Can't the Homies Hear Me about the gang members they preaching to. Like, it was some dope stuff back then. And um, so then I remember in, like, the the mid-'90s, this group called LPG that I don't know if y'all heard of them. Uh, Living no, for Grace, Journey Big and Theory, dope MCs, dope Theory MCs. Has it. Theory has not Theory has it, just Journey Big Another and thing. this dude. Yeah, they were dope, and they came out of L.A. and they were the first Christian hip hop group that I heard that was not explicitly Christian. I mean, okay, like, just told, like, their stuff was, like, if you listen to it now, you would be like, oh, they explicitly Christian. Because compared to a lot of these other guys now, they are. Yeah. But at that time, I mean, they were talking about battle rapping. They were talking about, you know, underground hip-hop. They were dissing cats that they didn't feel were real, you know, like real hip-hop. <laughs> You know, they were dissing Christian rappers that they felt bit, you know, were biting secular rappers. They had a big battle, a big battle, not not literal battle, but like a big, they were at odds with T-Bone. This dude T-Bone was one of the dope early Uh, Christian rappers. He was dope. definitely knew T-Bone. Right, and he Mm -hmm. was the most, one of the most popular. But he did, he did use a lot of different styles. Like, he, yes, he did, yes. you know, he bit. He had his own style, too. I mean, the dude was just a dope lyricist. And a dope, yeah. had a dope flow. But he also did bite Cypress Hill, you know, yeah. and some others, and and take their style at one point, maybe kind of Tupac. But he also had his own flow that was dope. But LPG dissed him. Like, so that's when, oh, wow. that's when Christian rap, that was the first time I remember hearing it. And, and honestly, I was baffled. Like, I had to admit, they were dope. Their, their flows and their beats, it was real hip-hop. It was, it was boom bap, you know? Yeah. But I was also like, man, like, they aren't really at that. Again, if you listen to it now, you would be like, yeah, they really coming with the Lord. But compared to what, what was out before, it wasn't what I was used to, but then from that point on, you you then had this dichotomy. You had the Christian rap that was just straight, explicitly Christian, you know, yeah. like cross movement, gospel gangsters cross movement, and and you know Lecrae early on, and that whole group, and then you also had this kind of spiritual light or or more hidden. I would say, yeah. like, like Rakim, like if y'all ever listen to Eric B. and Rakim, they were mm-hmm. Muslim, or Rakim was Muslim. Yeah. But, you know, it would, be, it would be hidden. There would be little references to the Quran or the Allah or the, you know, his beliefs, but it wouldn't be, like, explicit, you know? Exactly. And that's how yeah. LPG and some of these other groups came, you know? Tunnel and, uh, so you, yeah, Rats came out of LPG. Journey oh, Big okay. and them were in the. They started. They created the Tunnel Rats. Oh, and so okay. They I only knew Seth. Seth started. 
Sam Static, all them. Yeah, so that's how they all came from Journey Big. And Journey Big is one of the dopest Christian hip MCs ever. And um, could hold his own with any secular. Like, he was just flat out dope. But, um, so, yeah, they that that was when the division came. And, um, it still persists to, to today. That's still going on yeah, now. Yeah. It really, it really does, and it's unfortunate. But, you know, you think about it, and it's like, look, you got pastors who can't work together. You got pastors right. at odds. So how can we expect 25-year-old, 19-year-old Christian rappers to be unified? I wish they were, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but it's, yeah. it's really it's interesting, man. And I, like I said, I've been in, so I've been in the Christian hip hop since 1990, man. And, um, I think it gets a bad rap. Like Christian hip hop is, is, I would say for the most part, it's on, it's on par with most secular hip hop. Yeah. But there, you know, there might be a few handful of secular artists here and there who are just head and shoulders above, all the rappers, secular and Christian, you know right, what I mean? Right. I, right, I right, think right. one challenge, one challenge that I've always seen in, in some Christian rap, not all of it, but sometimes some of the dopest MCs mm-hmm. don't have dope beats. Yeah, and some yeah, dudes yeah. that really can't rap that well got dope beats. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So sometimes I'll be like, dang, I wish dude had better beats. <laughs> you know, but... But yeah, I mean, but yeah, man, I've been. It's getting been, better. It's getting better. Yeah, and and like I said, it's been look, and and people, y'all don't look, y'all don't know how blessed you are, because <laughs> I'm telling you, back in 1990, 1990 through 1994, 95, it yeah. would be one. Well, it got better in some of those, but like 90, 91, 92. 93, it will be one dope Christian hip-hop album coming out every seven or eight months. Oh, wow. I'm not playing. SFC, Idol King, Freedom of Soul, Dynamic Twins, T-Bone, Gospel Gangsters. This group Apocalypse was pretty good, but they really bit public enemy. But they were pretty good in terms of the rap style. But... Mm-hmm. I mean, and it would be one that came out every five, six, seven months, and I would bump that album for those five or six months over and over and over again. I'm telling you, and it was like, but, yeah, it was a trip, man. It was, you know, and it was a young, and I wasn't a part of that community because I didn't, you know, I wasn't, like, I didn't know any of the rappers. I know a lot of them now just because of my, you know, my platform. I met a lot. But I didn't know them, but I felt a bond with them. And I know yeah. that a lot of them felt a bond among themselves. Like, like I said, SFC, they spawned Freedom of Soul, Gospel Gangsters, LPG, um, kind of came out of them, uh, Dynamic Twins. Mm-hmm. And then they would be on albums with Idol King. They would be on T-Bone's album. Like, it was a lot more united. Now it was a smaller yeah. group, but it was a lot yeah. more unity and brotherhood. You know what I'm saying? And now, now it's kind of like. Now there's thousands. Yeah. Thousands right, of right. artists. 
which is good because, like, like I said, you get good Christian hip hop now. You know, it's good albums coming out all the time, and so it's a blessing nowadays. Whereas back then, I'm telling you, man, it was dope. Christian hip hop was few and far between. Wow, that was awesome. It was man. a lot of corny. So want- it was a lot of corny stuff out there too that I, I didn't listen to. But you know, I go to the you you go you get all your Christian hip hop at Christian bookstores. Yeah, and so I yeah, would go to the yeah. Christian bookstore and you could listen to it. They would let you listen to the out to the cassette so you could figure out what you want to buy. And it was some, it was a lot of corny stuff out there too. Just people <laughs> that meant well, you know, they meant well. Right, yeah. They wanted to reach the youth, but they couldn't rap, you know? And, right. Or they had. Oh, trust me. We, we've seen it. it. Right. Right. We've seen it. Right. We've definitely yeah. seen that. So I wanted to get into uh, the King movement. Um, we just got introduced to what you started with the King movement. It's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Like just being able to see it and sit and see like how it all comes together and how, I mean, like for us, you know, we're every week it's it's three black men sitting in a room talking about life and and music and culture and politics, and we always have a heart for young men, especially black men that that are often overlooked, counted out. Right. Um, you know, whatever. So when we saw this, it's like, oh man, this is this is amazing. This is perfect. How did you start King? What gave you the idea for it? And tell people a little bit about what it is and what you guys have planned. Well, King is an acronym, first of all, that stands for knowledge, inspiration, and nurture through God. And mm-hmm. um, it, it really, in a nutshell, it, what it is is a Christ, national Christian men's movement or Christian brotherhood. And a few things led me to start. One, when I became a Christian, like I said, I didn't know a lot of Christian brothers uh, who were Mm -hmm. my age. I was 21 years old, who were my age, that I could relate to in other ways, like in terms of hip-hop, in terms of sports, in terms of culture, or, or things like that. You know, even at, I was at a good church, but, you know, men were older, men were married, you know, right, and things yeah. like that. And so over time, I began to meet, I was living in Cleveland, Ohio, and I would meet more brothers my age and here and there. And I thought that all of us were kind of just, you know, on our own, you know, on an island. And and and, what, and then I started seeing with some of the guys, depending on your testimony, you know, like mm-hmm. some of the dudes I met, they, they got saved in prison or they got mm-hmm. saved in, you know, they went to Teen Challenge. They had a drug addiction or were a drug dealer and, and went to Teen Challenge, that ministry, and got in the Lord through that. And so yeah. dudes who had a much, I was never a gangster. I was never a drug dealer, never used drugs, anything like that. Um, and so my testimony, you know, I didn't come from, all that, that street life and all that. And so some of them, what I started to see is that a lot of dudes lack brotherhood, Christian brotherhood. Right. And right. so a lot of times they would hang out with, the only cats they had to hang out with was their unsaved friends or because they didn't, they were trying to avoid them, but they didn't have anybody else to hang out with. And eventually dudes, because they lack brotherhood, a lot of cats ended up backsliding. And yeah. depending on, like I said, depending on your testimony, if you was a street cat, 
and you was a gangster or you were a drug dealer, when you backslid, a lot of times you ended up back in jail. You right, know? Right. And if I backslid, it it, it, it might have been with my girlfriend or with, you know what I'm saying? Like, right, like right, that. Right. It wasn't like something that was going to send me to prison or to jail. Right. And so I felt like, man, if we created a brotherhood that dudes could be around guys and have friendships and relationships with guys who love the Lord, but who also they could relate to in other areas of life that they could just kick it with that. That would number one, strengthen all of us and, and, and hopefully keep dudes from backsliding and from, you know what I mean? From, getting out there in the world. Because if, if you're only, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever hang with non-Christian friends. We all do right. that. But if you're only hanging with non-Christian friends and that's all you have, then a lot of times you're either going to be tempted, incredibly tempted, and maybe fall, or you might be unhappy and miserable because you're not doing what they're doing and you feel, you know, you, you feel like you should be right. or something. So that was one of the impetuses to create that brotherhood. And then, two was, like I said, my brother had joined the Nation of Islam, as did one of my best friends. And they were, you know, the Nation of Islam, especially in the 90s, had a reputation for really reaching black men. Like, if you ask somebody, who's the group that's going to go get these cats off the streets? Who's the group that's going to reach the black men in the prisons, you know, and, and, and or the gangbangers and get them on the right path? Most people would have said the Muslims, the Nation of Islam. Nation of Islam, and yet, yeah, Right. And here I was in Cleveland meeting Christians who had been gangbangers, Christians who had been in the streets, Christians who had this crazy background, and nobody knew about it. nobody was saying, Oh, Christ can save you. Christ can yeah. Christ can reach those people too. So that was another thing. I was like, I'm meeting all these brothers that have that came, got delivered from being a pimp, got delivered from, you know, this and that. And I was like, if we could come together, we could be a bigger witness to the world right. that God, that Jesus Christ redeems these people. That Jesus Christ has the power to reach people. And so, mm-hmm. um, I, and look, I knew it was a lot of brothers out doing good, great local ministry or, or their own ministry. And I felt like if we could come together and unite, then we could have more of an impact. We could have a, a national impact, an impact on a city. And people would see, because I know it's a lot of people out there, men especially, that go to church that may even be legitimately saved, but their life, they're on the fence all the time, you know, yes, and, they're, yes. and, and, and I felt like if there's a, a visible brotherhood of, of strong men who are unashamed to live for the Lord, if they see that, maybe that would impact them and lead them to come all the way over and, and really truly live for Christ. And so um, those were kind of the things that sparked my desire to start a, a Christian brotherhood or national men's movement. And, um, and we also deal, you know, a lot there, there are a decent number of national Christian men's ministries like this, but I haven't mm-hmm. found one 
that's national, that really has chapters all over the country or different parts of the country, that is led by African Americans. Right, and exactly. because most of them, the ones I've seen aren't led by African Americans, they don't really deal with the situations and things that are particular to black men or black people. And it's not exactly. necessarily racism. It may just be ignorance of what we go through. You know, right. they have no idea about it. A, a lot of white men, if you tell them that there's this myth in the black community that Christianity is the white man's religion, a lot of them will like look at you like, what? Really? Right. They have no idea. So if they yeah. don't know that, then how in the world are they going to combat it? How in the world are they going to do an apologetic for it? You know? Right. And so mm-hmm. we, if you look at our website, kingmovement.com, you'll see articles debunking the myth that Christianity is the white man's religion and, you know, yeah, things that deal that. with. Right. That. And we've had meetings where, like, after Trayvon Martin or Eric Garner or some of these police shootings, where we've just been able to just talk about it, just vented about it, you know, and try to address it from a biblical perspective and things like that. So um, that's another thing about King. But, yeah, it's become a national movement. We got chapters in about 12 different cities and, and expanding all the time. Um, and awesome. we, we, we have a national summit, uh, national men's conference, but we call it a summit. Uh, we do every year, and this will be our fifth annual one, March 28th through the 31st. We're doing it in Atlanta. And, Absolutely. Um, okay. So we're, we're trying to get, man. Yeah, if y'all can help, y'all know y'all were there for the huddle at the Super Bowl yeah. weekend in Atlanta. We had yeah. probably over a dozen NFL players or ex-NFL players there. We're yeah. going to have yeah. uh, at this one. So I, we want to get as many men from Atlanta as possible. So I'm asking y'all, begging y'all, get as many brothers there as you can. It's going to be, it's, it's spiritually empowering yeah. through, through the, we have, we have intense prayer. We have praise and worship. We have great preaching, but also it's mentally enlightening. We have workshops that deal with various issues particular to manhood uh, and it's fun. We have good fellowship, and we have a basketball tournament. We have hip-hop performances. Um, so, and, and I'm going to tell you this, too. There are a lot of, well, I know a few brothers who aren't Christians who are planning on yeah. coming. A couple that yeah. used to be Muslims in the Nation of Islam, a couple that are in the quote-unquote conscious community that are coming. And the reason they're coming is because, they are longing for positive black male fellowship. Yes. And Mm -hmm. a lot of our, even a lot of our really good black uh, organizations, black male organizations, if you go to some of their national meetings, it'll be positive stuff going on, but then it's also going to be a bunch of drinking and it's going to be a bunch of womanizing too. You know, and so a lot of brothers are looking for something that's pro-family, pro-community, that's fun, that's going to give them fellowship with other brothers about this. And they're not necessarily Christian, but they just want that. And this is a good opportunity to share for them to see the gospel in a different light and for them to see it through the prison of black men 
And I think there's a, it's a good chance to try to reach some of these brothers who were turned off by the church for whatever reason or turned off to Christianity for whatever reason. So, um, and, and finally, we're going to have Sean Alexander, former NFL MVP running back there. He's going to yeah. be speaking on Friday night, May, May, March 28th. We're going to have former NBA player Eton Thomas speaking on the yeah. 29th. We're going to have uh, okay. former NFL linebacker Takeo Spikes speaking on the yeah. 29th. We're going to have Michael T. Williamson, the actor, who was in Forrest mm-hmm. Gump and ATL and many other things, movies and television oh, shows. Yeah. He's going to be there on the mm-hmm. 29th. Um, so it, it, we, Bernard King's going to co-host the, the NBA superstar. Bernard King's going to co-host the basketball tournament with uh, King. And so it's going to be a great time, man, of uh, – That's so dope. Fellowship, and so, like I said, man, we look. We're not competing with the church. We want to come alongside and support the church and reach the yeah. men in the streets and and incorporate all over the place that aren't going to church and try to bring them into the church. And yeah. and so we we just man, it, it's not about egos. It's not about who gets the credit. It's not about fame, money. This is about hopefully. Men coming together, all men, all Christian men, coming together to glorify the Lord and to reach other men with the gospel. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it, man. We just we got a taste of it. We loved it. Um, can't wait to see the big the big thing and and just seeing um, uh, stars and celebrities that you've seen on TV and finding out that they're sold out for Christ is just. I, I got to watch the the young men that were on the Morehouse football team, and um, of course, when you get a room full of kids that may not necessarily agree or want to be there, when you see that they're affected by seeing so many men worshiping God with their hands raised, full passion, right. not faking nothing, it has an impact. Even if it's one of them, even right. if one of those kids was like, "Wait a minute." this is real. You know what I mean? Right. Like this, they're right. not just doing this to try and get me to do something. Like, no, no, no. They, this is their life. And, and I, that's the number one thing is I know for me when I was growing up, being able to see it done, you don't think it's possible until you see it. And right. being able to show them what it looks like and show them that it's possible to be a Christian and be for real is invaluable. So I love what you're doing, man. We're really, really proud of you. No, thank you, man. And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I mean, I know when I first got convicted, I was a senior in college or junior in college, and I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't want to be saved and try to live for the Lord. And But seeing other men, uh, just regular-looking men who were living for the Lord, that impacted me. And then seeing athletes yeah. reading about Charlie Ward or Evander Holyfield, like, yeah. That impacted me. And so, you know, that's, you're right. Like, that, that's what I'm saying. God has given us this platform, you know, for a reason. And so um, I, I definitely hear what you're saying, man. Exactly. Man, thank you so much for talking with us, man, and telling people about King. And we'll definitely be pushing that, getting people to come to the Canal Street film and and yes. the, the, the crowning night and everything you guys got going on. Um, 
uh, we're, we're really, really happy to be a part of it and can't wait to see what's coming in the future. Well, man, look, I want to tell people they can register for the summit at, at kingmovement.com. That's kingmovement.com. Um, and, look, man, we want to get y'all involved. Um, one of the good things I feel about King is that we are cross-generational. You yes. know, a lot of and, – and King is a, an organization for all men, but it is predominantly African-American at this point. And a lot of our black organizations, they aren't cross-generational. You know, they're all older people, and they're not grooming the young people and, you know, for leadership and all that. But we, we have a good mix, and we want even a better mix of younger adults and older adults because a mm -hmm. lot of young men who are saved, they may have come from a broken home where they didn't see a father, yeah. they didn't see a marriage. And so us having men in King who are married, who've been, I've been married 23 years, men who've been married for a lot longer, they can help give advice to or minister or talk to younger brothers who, you know, are having challenges in their marriage or, you know, uh, need advice or, or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one thing we need in our community. And look, there's so many black men and boys who didn't have that father figure or that father in the home, and they're looking for that. So it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, really re be examples and lights to these men um, and bring them to the, lead them to the Lord. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, I'm a, I'm a let you go. I want you to stay on for a second so we can get a drop from you. But just so you know, when you're on TV and you're, you're fussing with Skip and Shannon and all those kind of people, just know you got the track stars family praying for you. We're rooting Thank for you, you and we appreciate you. I needed to face those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for it. Right, no. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No problem. Sure. All right, you're in the field with the track stars Ryan Wright to Sean Tanner, DJ Jeremiah. Let's go. Yeah.